BPI Sports has always been a massive supporter of natural bodybuilding, so it only made sense for us and them to partner up. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by BPI Sports, and if you want to support them and us, use code NattyNewsDaily at checkout for some exclusive discounts off any of your orders. Enjoy the episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the Natty News Daily podcast. We are joined again by Josh Bradshaw. I uh, was on earlier this year, I believe at some point, kind of losing track of when everything happened. Um, but so it was it was time, this year. Yeah, because it was after was his prep and after yeah. he, he recovered his brain. There we yeah. go. There we go. Makes sense. So Dave and I were discussing earlier this week kind of potential topics. And Josh is someone who I look up to in the industry as someone who's living the most ideal or the kind of epitome of actual bodybuilding lifestyle within the natural side of things, right? Because we don't have the sponsorships. We don't have the money where you can just go lift, eat, and rep your, your brand. So Josh is truly by every definition, a researcher and a scientist within the sport and is one that's pushing the sport forward while also being an athlete. So he hits both sides of that aspect. And I just kind of wanted to pick his brain on what got him to where he is so that others may, if they're interested, kind of follow suit and see, you know, what it actually takes to be a researcher, what it actually looks like in the day-to-day practice um, beyond just Googling and PubMed. So uh, yeah, Josh, let's, let's take it away. I imagine people at this point don't need too much of an introduction from you or for you. I would at least hope not. So I'll turn it over to you. Well, thanks for the, the intro. Um, for, for those of you who don't know who I am, well, you're lost. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so yeah, I, um, I coach bodybuilders, strength and physique athletes, uh, with competitive breed with Chris Barricat's company. Uh, also do, do what? Sorry. It's it coaches me. <laughs> oh yeah. Coach Dan. Um, also do research at the university of Tampa where we research all things, different training modalities, primarily focused on strength adaptations and muscle hypertrophy. So it's, it's literally like a dream job. So got it, got it made really well done here. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, we were going to kind of talk about like how I got into it and just kind of my takeaways, uh, just the story behind it all. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I guess I, it makes sense to start back in, in high school for me because, you know, I, I played sports. I was always an active kid growing up. Um, Baseball, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we had a we had a really really good strength and conditioning coach. Um, I, I believe he had a master's from UCLA, and so like that was kind of like my intro to the to the field. So it, it's, it's almost unusual in the in high school. Sorry, to, I keep cutting you. Yeah, off. no, no, you're good. Uh, yeah, it's 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 definitely an unusual start, I would say. So when we first got into the gym, I think, so I had been training before this, but this was when I was like 16 years old. We get into the gym and he, he gives us our, our training sheets and it's just like print off of like an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, and it was like a modified like DUP block periodized like phase potentiated like sequence. It was just like perfectly laid out. And I was like already kind of interested in lifting and like how to like optimize things. And I looked at this and I was like, what is this? And I was just like, it was like a kid on Christmas. Like I was just so excited to like dive into this and was like, okay, I will follow this to the T, but I need to know why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? Why are we varying rep ranges? Why I just had so many questions. And so I 
just kept asking them and asking them. And I developed a good relationship with the guy. And at the end of the season, he was like, you know, um, people actually like study this like for a living. I mean, like, you can go to school for this if you're um, looking for something to study when you go off to college. And I was like, no shit. Like that's, I, I, I had no idea. And he was like, yeah. So if you're, if you're really interested in, in this stuff, you should look up Eric Cressy and Eric Helms. And so that was like, okay. Like I just, I went right home and like started looking up those names and just dove right in. So like, I fortunately never had that, like that period of time where I was like listening to people from like bodybuilding.com or like just YouTube fitness or any of the like fads or just like ineffective training methodologies or just following somebody just because they're jacked uh it was mm -hmm. like okay there's clear-cut methodology here and i want to get stronger i want to know how to do that so i can be a better athlete and then it kind of transitioned towards gaining more muscle because eventually uh, sports came to an end as soon as i got to college and i was like okay well i need some sort of goal now to pursue mm -hmm. and so it was just like okay, I'm going to start lifting to build muscle finally. Uh, cause you know, the two don't always go hand in hand when we're training for mm -hmm. uh, sport and, uh, trying to maximize other adaptations. So yeah, it was like, okay, I can actually have fun in the gym now. And I just kept diving into like the research and the, like the evidence-based community and, and like, digging up as much information as possible like my my first few years like an undergrad that's that's all I did was like I go to class and then come home and just continue reading or watching lectures or reading papers because I just freaking loved it so much and like it was like it wasn't even like work to me it was just like okay I, I just I want to continue learning because this is like we're not learning this in the classroom right now mm -hmm. so what was that what was that undergrad major in so my undergrad was technically in allied health. It was like a pre-physical therapy uh, program. So uh, UT had um, like a pre-professional program that was designed for people who wanted to go to grad school. So there was like one for uh, like pre-med, there was one for like uh, pre-physician's assistant and then there was PT. So I was going through all those prereqs because uh, I originally wanted to go to physical therapy school. And eventually I kind of just hit this point after like countless observation hours where I was just like man like I, I'm really having to force myself to enjoy this and my primary motive here is like I'm pursuing this because it's a, a safe career choice and I'm going to have a steady income and it's going to kind of incorporate some of the things I like but it's not like the thing like I, I'm going home and reading exercise science literature, like in my free time, like I actually want to do this. So I ended up finishing my degree um, and uh, I went through all the prereqs because I, I wasn't too sure if I was going to continue that route. Uh, ended up um, after I graduated, I took that summer off and ended up going to grad school. Uh, for exercise science and uh, got my master's at UT as well. Um, and, and yeah, it was just, it was kind of like the obvious choice because it was like, again, I, I'm going way out of my way on like Friday night to, to learn about this stuff. So rewind a couple of years prior to this, I'm still an undergrad, right? So 
uh, I stayed down in Florida for the summer and I decided, okay, um, I'm going to just work because I, I like it way better down here than Ohio. Um, and yeah, <laughs> Tan knows what I'm talking about. Right so in the border of Ohio I, here. I, I stayed down here and I decided to work at a gym and man, like I, I hated that job. I, I just hated it. I was, I primarily got that job because one, like I applied to a ton of different jobs and nothing really lined up. They wanted like experience already. And so I'm like, okay, I'm still a kid in college. So I may as well apply here. I'll get a free gym membership out of it. And man, like I, I, just, I hated the hours. I hated everything about the job. And so, yeah, I'm working there this, uh, that, that summer. And it just so happens that um, that was the same gym that, that Chris was doing his prep in. And so we actually met at that gym, um, independent of UT. Like I, I kind of knew who he was because Matt Ogus was running a program that he uh, had, had written and I was following him, him on Instagram. And then I realized, I was like, wait, I, I think this is the same guy at, uh, at the gym. <laughs> and so we ended up meeting and connecting which was like, when I look back and think about that now, it's like, man, like everything kind of just came together. Like at that moment, like for just for those of you listening who are working a job that you just absolutely hate, just don't think for a second that a job is beneath you because you, you just, you never know what, where it could lead. So just kind of a, a side tangent on that. Um, so I ended up meeting Chris and um, we, eventually uh, just started chatting more and uh, I was like yeah I saw you work at UT I'm actually a student there I ended up taking his class in undergrad and he um, gave me an opportunity to uh, work in research in our uh, human performance lab so in there we just essentially just ask a question and we designed a study to try and answer that question and just carry it out over the course of the semester on uh, as many subjects as we possibly can get. Um, so that, so yeah, I, I ended up doing that um, the last two years of my undergrad and then kind of continued that into grad school and, and beyond. Mm -hmm. So that, that was like a huge paradigm shift for me. And it was just like, man, like, again, I actually want to go do this. Like I, I'm actually waking up excited for work now. And so um you know, our, our, our first, the, the first study that I actually like really, really got involved in was uh, a study on training volume, which as you guys know, it's something I'm, I'm really, really uh, like passionate about. It's like my niche of the, the niche community. Um, and so, yeah, we ended up running that. It was kind of like we were doing that study because like every other lab was doing a, a training volume study. And, um, it was kind of interesting, you know, we, we found something different that was uh, not what other labs were finding. So essentially we, we, divided, uh, we divided the study into like three groups, like a low volume group, a moderate volume group and a high volume group. And, you know, we, we actually, um, we found no statistical significance between uh, the conditions. And one was doing like a substantially more amount of volume than the other two groups. And it was really, really interesting. And it, it was thought provoking uh, because it was like, okay, why are all these other papers 
finding these things and why are we finding different things? So that just kind of opened the door to a lot more thought provoking questions because it's like, okay, well, maybe it has something to do with the study design. Let's look at the study design. And then I realized, okay, yeah, it does. It probably does. So come to find out like, okay, a lot of these studies, what we're finding is actually a result of how we actually balanced volume, intensity, and frequency, or the study's design, how we configured those variables. You know, and I've said this to, to Dan so many times, like you, you can often look at the study's design before even reading the results and kind of predict what they would find. Because, you know, we, we took a, a very moderate approach to intensity and we took a very moderate approach to, to volume uh, and a very um, moderate approach to, to training frequency. And yeah, I mean, although it, like, it wasn't statistically significant in the paper, the data was kind of trending towards the moderate volume group. And you can kind of see why, right? You organize those three variables in such a way that it would produce the optimal results in a different volume condition, right? So I started looking into other papers that, that looked at the same topic and come to find that, yeah, there's a lot of training studies out here that look at this topic, but the study's design is so different. And that's probably why we're finding so, like there's, there's so much discrepancy between these, these papers because they're designed so differently. So like, um, like Schoenfeld's paper, the infamous 45 set study, used like a three times per week frequency, which, okay, yeah, I can see how you found a, a higher volume condition might be somewhat optimal, but if you used anything less than that, it's probably changing the results, right? Mm -hmm. And that just comes down to study design. That has nothing to do with how somebody's going to respond, right? Um, or it, it will influence how somebody responds. Um, you know, we also looked at the individual data points of that study and I mean, man, it was all over the place. You know, we, we report mean responses for each training condition. So we basically just took each participant's response and averaged it out. And that's what we're reporting in the paper. And that's how that's just traditional exercise science research. But when we looked at the, the individual responses, it's all over the place. So it's like with, within the same training condition, we're seeing people who regressed, some people who didn't grow at all, some people who just blew up. And it's like, that alone was very like eye-opening because it's like, okay, individualization is probably the biggest factor here. And then we have study design limitations. And then we have the limitations of the devices that we're actually using to measure change. Mm -hmm. And you know, the whole experience, like these past, well, I guess it's been, five or six years now, it's just been very, very eye-opening and that it's really, really made me look at research a very different way because people often look at these papers and think, oh, it's, it's published in a journal. So it has to be right. It has to be perfect. And it, I'm going to take this as gospel, mm -hmm. but more often than not, it's like the devil's in the details and yeah. you can only take a grain of salt from this. And it is, you know, that saying like it's, one study is really only a piece of the puzzle. I think it's really like only a piece of a piece of the puzzle. Like it's, it's even, we, we can only take so much from that. And through this experience, it's been like, okay, well, we, we can only take like 
even less than I originally thought. So it's mm -hmm. just, yeah, it's uh, it's been really, really eye-opening. Yeah, and you're you're pointing out a huge um, like point of contention almost. I think right, like you have been trained in how to assess the literature. You've been trained in how to like read the research and break down the data. You know, I at one point had taken classes on that, but since I'm not even doing it every day, I can still look at a paper and not know what half of it is anymore, right? Like there's just things that I just never studied, never researched. So for the general person, I mean, you, you just can't, like you cannot interpret the literature as well as you think you are, right? You might read the conclusion, you can understand the English of what they're saying, but their conclusion is based on 15 different like criteria, right? Like, okay, these individuals grew with this volume, but they only grew in this volume if they're an untrained individual below the age of 40 with no prior injuries. And, you know, all these, this boom, 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 this list of all these other aspects that have to be there for the conclusion to be true. Mm -hmm. But they don't see that because they read the abstract, they read the conclusion, and that's it. And they say, volume, good, done. I'm yep. going to add volume. Yep. Black or white thinking. And, you know, it, it's, Schools are really, really doing people a disservice by not teaching people how to think. And that, that's something that is, it's so, so, so important to be able to assess and synthesize the literature and take like new information and say, okay, based on what we know, based on our understanding or our current understanding of the literature, what does this actually mean? And does this actually make sense? And like, what can I actually take from this? It's, it's so, so important because we have camps that just emerge like unnecessarily, like volume, good or bad. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, like, it, I don't even want to get into that, <laughs> that yeah. tangent. Um, yeah. And, and like you said too, like just because it's published doesn't mean that it's published by a respectable journal and there's not errors in it. Uh, one of my professors actually used, and I wish I could like remember who published it and when it was, and I'm probably going to butcher some of the small details, but to kind of prove that some of these journals are just pumping, you know, literature out and not really assessing the way they should. There was an article that was published, and I, again, I don't know the journal, where the title was, you know, fall from, like, fall from plane, not fatal or something like that. And they had 150 people jump out of a plane and none of them had life ending injuries. Well, they didn't tell you in the abstract that the plane was on the tarmac. So these people were jumping out of a landed plane, right? So again, it's that detailed site criteria. Like obviously that's an extreme example, but it was published, people read the headline. And if it were some other information, right? Like you could sneak that by and not say like, oh, here's the asterisk of like, this is how we got away and found this result. Yeah, yep, a hundred percent. And I, you know, I think I, I mentioned this um, in the, the last time I was on here, but um, you know, we, we had a time period where we were collecting data and we had to like basically toss all the data out because COVID hit and we had to go on lockdown. So it's not like we could actually use the data. We were like halfway through the training study. We had a subject come in and basically meet the the strength criteria to be considered a trained individual and he'd never touched a barbell in his life and but in the literature he'd be considered a trained individual so 
what it's like what do you think that's going to do to like the the results it's going to influence the mean response of the training condition that he's in because he's going to grow no matter what right and it's like what does that say like i have no doubt that stuff like that is happening in other labs now it might not be that extreme but we're throwing around the term trained very loosely because yeah they might be able to box squat 1.5 times their body weight but are they actually like really trained like what is their like how how long have they been training prior to this and most of the time it's on university students undergrads 18 to 21 year olds who more often than not don't necessarily have a sports background don't necessarily have like an, a background in activity they're doing this for extra credit in their class and they're going to respond to a training condition and what our author is going to do they're going to report that as if yeah trained subjects responded to this condition and it's yeah it, it's it's very very eye-opening um now, now don't get me wrong it, there's a lot of good that we can take from from the literature and it, i think it's a very very good place to start but we have to understand the the true limitations when we're reading papers uh just because like you said, most people read the abstracts and just kind of run with the findings. And we, you know, we can kind of see like how the field has evolved over the last 10 years. And it, it, it's, it's a result of that, right? So people were doing studies on training volume and it seemed as if like, as the years went on, we found higher and higher and higher and higher volumes. And so what did people do? They started pushing volumes and, training like so inefficiently. And now we're only now we're starting to see kind of like a pushback against that, but it, it's kind of coming from anecdote and observation and, and less so from the actual literature. The junk volume term has been coined. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Is at, at what point, right? Cause like I'm thinking in my head because our, you know, looking through some of the way that I've incorporated research, my general rule of thumb was if there's something that's kind of like out there and new and like read it, understand it, but wait to incorporate it into my practice until it's been replicated. Well, obviously that, those volume studies were replicated, replicated, replicated. At what point personally, you, do you see something and then take it in and like, do you have to try it out yourself or like for the general reader, you know, they're going to read an article and now they're going to have in the back of their head, like, is this something I should do? what would be your rule of thumb for like implementing new research into someone's you know weightlifting practices yeah that's a fantastic question and and first i would i would first look at meta analytic data because at the very least that's that's an analysis of every or most studies done on that particular topic so it's like a study of studies um, so the statistical power is much greater, so it might be a bit more predictive of the, the general population or how you might respond to training. So I would say, okay, start there and then make individual adjustments to, to your training and kind of see how you respond, which is why like tracking is like so important because, you know, you're, you're not going to know how you respond to any training mod modality unless you're actually tracking and keeping all your variables constant. Um, I, I think, you, you know, when I'm, when I'm onboarding a client, um, 
I always ask for prior training data because that alone holds a lot more weight than any training study for that specific client. Because if you're showing me data on yourself that says, okay, this is what I'm doing and I'm progressing doing this, that tells me so much more. Like say you're, you're progressing really, really fast on a set volume that's outside of the meta-analytic data recommendations. I, I, would, I wouldn't even consider what the science says then if you're showing me that you're progressing better on something that's outside of that range. Because again, science is reporting mean responses and it's not considering the outliers as much. So it's, it's hard to say like whether or not you would be in that standard deviation or you might be uh, farther out, you might be an outlier. And the only way to tell is to try it for yourself, track your data and make assessments from there and, and make changes if needed. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, for those, you know, so why don't we just discuss real quick. So you brought up the, the meta-analysis, right? Like that's kind of like the top tier of the evidence base or the, the research hierarchy. Um, just for those that don't know, why don't we talk through a little bit more, right? Because what most people are seeing are the randomized control trials, right? The RCT. So they're good, but they're not the best and they're also not the worst. So just so people kind of have a, an idea of what we're talking about here, the difference between them, you want to just like quickly go through those? Yeah. So like I said, it's, it's kind of like a study of studies. So say you have an RCT or a single randomized controlled trial um, and say you have a subject pool of like 30 subjects. Um, well, the, a meta-analysis is going to kind of group in like after the inclusion criteria, let's just say like 15 to 20 studies. You multiply that by the amount of subjects in each study and you and you now have a much greater subject pool and a much greater statistical power so it, it's much more predictive as to like what would actually happen so that's why most of the time um it's best to look at that form of data um and and usually it'll it'll say that like in the title a systematic review or meta-analysis um so yeah that's where i would start um, and then you can kind of like pick apart each individual study, because again, like you look at a meta-analysis on, on training volume and you can kind of look at all the studies and pull them up individually and find that each of those studies used a different training frequency or used a different or defined training to failure in a different way or use different exercises, train different muscle groups, and then kind of like look into each individual one of those studies and kind of find the ones that were, were similar and see if you can find like a directional uh, effect um, based on the studies that were done in a, in a similar way. And, and I think that would be the, the best way to go in terms of trying to, to figure that out. Um, but it, at the end of the day, I, I really, really, really value like n equals one uh, experience anecdotes and observations. Like obviously, like that's that's not going to apply to as many people like as like a, a study would. But for you personally, it makes it holds a lot more weight than than a study would, right? So. I always like to take people from where they are and kind of 
move them towards where I would want them to be in terms of a training program if if they're not progressing at a rate that they would like to, which more often than not, if they're reaching out for coaching, they're, they're trying to maximize things or they're not necessarily happy with their results. So that's kind of the first move that, that I take with that. And that's what I would recommend in terms of seeking out the, the literature. It's always, 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 if you have access to the full text, please read the, the, um, the methodologies, look at the study design. How are they, um, how are they quantifying um, training to failure? What was the training frequency like? Exercises, muscle groups, and then, yeah, number of sessions, so on and so forth. Yeah, so just pretty much trying to be analytical and not take things at face value, right? Like dive into it because some of these practices, I mean, you can read the methods and just like you said earlier, Josh, like you read it and you're like, well, no duh, like no, no wonder they didn't get stronger. No wonder they didn't get bigger just from our experiences as bodybuilders, powerlifters, what have you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, another, another caveat here is a lot of these studies, they're not even tracking their nutrition, right? So we're, you know, even nutrition research for the most part is, unless they're like living in the lab, right? It's self-report and we have to go off of their honesty and, and how accurate they actually are. And we know from research how bad people are at tracking food. So hypothetically, if half your group is in a deficit, like good luck seeing any positive results there you know, and if another group, they're just eating a, a lot, like they're about ready to gain the freshman 15, uh, but they're in a moderate training volume group and they're training progressively. It's like, well, they're probably going to grow, but it's, it's like, is that predictive of what's going to happen to you? Probably not. But like, again, people aren't looking at the limitations of these studies. So it's always, it's, it's important to, to take things with a grain of salt with this stuff and, and not look at, the study's findings and then just kind of run with it, which it just seems like even like highly qualified experts in the field are still doing stuff like that. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I think, you know, my experience so far in, in research has really, really, really opened my eyes to the limitations and what we can really, really take from research and how applicable it is to day-to-day to -day life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think in kind of what you were getting at, understanding that the people that are doing the research are human too, because like, you know, you can look at, you can have two people that look at a data set and draw different conclusions or use different methodologies. I mean, I've specifically seen um, some papers where they'll use statistical significance just because it's, you know, the thing to do. And mm -hmm. I've seen some papers where I'm like, that's not an appropriate way to use statistical significance. That's not an appropriate use of it, but it's, you know, um, you know, 100%. you have humans interpreting data and looking at data, but they might use improper methods or, you know, have biases or that. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And yeah, yeah, I agree with you a hundred percent there. And we all have biases, right? Like nobody's, nobody's free from it. I mean, there's even research on that, right? So um, you have to almost kind of question that and see if, you know, am I getting to the conclusion that I'm getting to just because I want to, or is that actually what the research is telling me based on the factors and the criterion that apply to me, right? So I think even so, in your own training in the N, N equals one experimentation is, you know, you don't just 
pound the, you know, well, the research says this, you know, well, so, you know, if, if you're, you know, what you're responding and what, what you're seeing is, is not yeah. showing that it's like, you know, yeah. yeah. So, so for individuals, Josh, that want to find you that have questions about getting into research, exercise, science, exercise, physiology, all that, where can they find you? So I would first say schoolofgains.com. So that's gains with a Z. Um, and then um, my Instagram would be a good place. Uh, Josh T. Brad. It's just my name clipped. Um, so yeah, my Instagram, Josh T. Brad, it's just my name clipped. That would be a perfect place um, if you want to send me a message. Uh, yeah, and that's, uh, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thank you, Josh, for joining us again. We obviously appreciate your insight into that side of, of the sport. Plus, we just like talking with you. So um, for everybody here and for Leroy, who was unable to join us, I thank you guys for joining in on another episode of the News Daily Podcast. If you have not already, like, subscribe, share the videos, the page, the website. And if you did not see the latest update about the website, we are actually dropping that paywall for most of the content because we want to share it global. So we're trying to grow that. We don't want there to be any limitations or any reason for people not to join because we want them to see the content that we're sharing. So thank you guys again. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again.